Hey, welcome listeners. Here is yet another episode of Escape from Plan A for you. We are approaching episode number 400. Whoa. Can you believe it? Wow. This is Chris, <laughs> your host here with Adam and Teen. What's up? Yellow. That means we've hung out 400 times. At least. <laughs> at least. Times at least. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of hanging out, uh, well, first, I just wanted to quickly uh, go over what this episode is so you guys know what you're in for. So uh, I'm sure a lot of you follow Teen on Twitter. You may have realized uh, that you know you can't find him anymore. Uh, he hasn't been kicked off. He has voluntarily <laughs> taken the... Okay, Teen, why don't you explain? Just like very quickly uh, before we delve uh, into I, I deactivated my account. It's on the countdown. So if you deactivate on Twitter... You have a 30-day countdown. If you don't log back in for 30 days, you're gone, deleted. It's done. nuked. Nuked. All right. And uh, I don't know. Like, I, I want to nuke it, but uh, my wife has been like, why? You <laughs> log mm-hmm. back in. So I'm like the one guy who quit Twitter whose wife is like, you shouldn't quit Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, baby, I got to quit Twitter. <laughs> and it, it's like it's like the, the Panic in Needle Park where the couple is like mutually destructive uh, you know keeping each other hooked on heroin except yeah. <laughs> it's twitter um so anyway yeah we'll get more deeply into why you and and adam you said you've kind of done the same thing right well, i i haven't actually deactivated it yet but i haven't logged in in probably a month yeah and, just nice. um, i deleted that's, that's it from my phone just a couple of days ago so i'm not even i can't mm. like even accidentally hit it Very yeah so um, we'll talk more about yeah. you know what motivates people to do that and what comes next and all that but uh and then we'll talk about this nation article that came out a couple of weeks ago this this talking about how the you know stop asian hate movement has gotten derailed by certain wrong actors is a uh article written by seth barkman it came to my attention because our friends over at dragon combat really hated the piece so a couple of weeks it's a bit late but i thought we should still talk about it but before we get to the the main topics you guys brought up hanging out I do want to talk about, so Adam, me, Trevor, and Mtume, we went out to Red Hook Lobster Pound in Red Hook because it was a lobster week and we had a great dinner. Oh, uh, yeah. Keen, you were obviously yeah. invited, but you're in Maryland. So yeah. unfortunately you missed out, my friend. Uh, you also missed out on watching Pearl for free with me and yes. my other friend on Friday. Again, I wanted to see that movie, but yeah. It uh, is so good. You should watch yeah. it. But I would recommend watching X before it, even though yes. um, it's like I think- a- there, it's Pearl is kind of a sequel to X, right? Does it was a prequel, oh, even prequel. though okay. I guess it was made right after they mm. they uh, they made it kind of you know you know the way they made the Lord of the Rings just like mm-hmm. one after another. But yeah, chronologically in the movie verse, uh, Pearl takes place before X, but it was like in the real world made after mm. it. But oh, such a good movie. Ty West, right? T West or Ty West? Uh, yeah. Who knows he's, how you pronounce he's it? He's excellent. Like House of the Devil, although he's fantastic. Yeah, I've been getting more into horror. I've never been a horror fan, but I'm kind of getting more into it lately. I think it's because it's it's one of the few genres now where you you can actually feel something, whereas everything else is so sterilized, sanitized, mm. uh, you know, kind of mm. focus group. But you know, these movies, you, you watch people's getting heads getting chopped off. You you, <laughs> and I think Chris. my theory is that because you're allowed to kill off the characters, you're allowed to make them say things that don't have to be virtuous. Because, like, hey, you're going to kill them off, so they don't, they don't have to be role models. So then you get a lot of... Uh, How fucked is your generation? You're, like, watching someone getting beheaded and, and then... Chris that's the only way there. I can feel I, can, I feel something, guys. I feel something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but, but anyway, at dinner last night, so, Trevor... Okay, I'm going to put him on blast here because he said oh. something that was so... It, it just made me shake my head at how... <laughs> just... 
<laughs> okay, so he so um you know it was lobster dinner, basically like oh. half off. <laughs> And we were, you know, all three of us were getting lobster dinners, but he wanted to get fish and chips. That's right. <laughs> and then after he places the order, he asks us, guys, actually, is fish and chips uh, healthier than lobster? No, no, no. I think he ordered the lobster, but he wanted to switch to fish and chips, but he wanted to know what was healthier. Lobster. And yeah. I'm just thinking, fish he, and chips. He's watching his cholesterol, which I respect. I mean, fish and chips has uh, got to be one of the worst things to eat. Well, but, yeah. that, but I think, I think shellfish has a lot of cholesterol. That's what he was saying. I, I didn't know because I, okay, I, I have no idea. Regardless, but, I would yeah. think anything that's deep fried is a hundred times worse than anything that's merely Probably. boiled. Probably. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I thought he just like really wanted to eat fish and chips, but felt bad about ordering. So he wanted, he wanted like a way out for somehow maybe fish and chips was healthier than than lobster. <laughs> but um, oh that, that that made me shake my head. But yeah, it was anyway. funny though. Mm-hmm. Because no, he he did order it first, and then we talked him into getting the lobster. So he like he he ran out of the like he ran to like get our waitress to. Where were you at? Was this the uh, where in Red Hook were you? Red Hook Lobster Pound. Oh, okay. Yeah, a really yeah. good place. We want to go back to it because there uh, there's a lot of good dishes there. Is that on? Try. It's on Van. Uh, what's that? Van Bright. Van Bright. However, yeah. something like that. Yes, that. that's yeah. It's on okay. Van. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Red Hook's a cool area. It's very, it's kind of hard to get to. Uh, uh, but if you have a city bike, uh, you just have to. I, I got off at Borough Hall and then just biked down there. And a friend and I had gone on a, just like a weekend biking trip around the area. So even though it was dark, days are so dark nowadays. I was so surprised. Like I thought I'd made a reservation for 7 30. I thought that by then it would still be light out. But I made the no, reservation was, like weeks ago. You know, yeah. So it was dark. Do you know if you go all the, if you keep going down, you get to that, that fairway market? Have you been oh, there? Uh, no. Okay, so there's a fairway market sort of at the end that's like right on the water, and above, a uh, sort of like above and appurtenant to it are these like artist loft apartments. Mm. And one time I went to go buy a chair like off Craigslist, and the woman who was selling it lived in one of those apartments. So I was kind of excited because I'd never been inside one of them. I go inside, dude, it's amazing, <laughs> incredible, huge, They're apartment, huge, right? Huge apartment and. Yeah. It like they have these like these sort of these giant um, like arched windows, yeah. And the whole yeah. thing's made of brick, like her brick walls and everything. And then these arched windows, and you can't see anything but the harbor. So it looks like wow. you're on a ship. You can't see any from if you're like sitting at her at her table. You can't see anything but just, just like the harbor the, and yeah. ships. You cannot see wow. the ground. So it feels like you're in a like a in a, in a ship yourself. But or it's, it's like it's just one big room, right? Like the lofts are basically just one. Um, no, one it was like a, no, it was an apartment. Uh, oh, okay. It had been subdivided and stuff. Ah, rooms. okay. But I was like, dude, these apartments are fucking sick. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure. The, well, the big trade-off would have been in times past that it's it's kind of inaccessible. So if you yes. happen to work, e- even in like somewhere else in Brooklyn, it would have been hard to get to. But I'm sure in the last couple of years, if you can work from home. And you can get a place like that, and I'm, I'm sure the rents are pretty low. It's probably it's probably gentrifying, uh, at, you know, every second, oh, just like exponentially, like exponentially, because like yeah. it's like the one drawback to it was it's hard to get to. But right. if you don't have to go anywhere, mm. yeah, well, at least to commute, why not? Oh, yeah, I should have become friends with her just to go hang out in her apartment. It was so <laughs> it was so cool. I don't know. It was just really neat. I was it just made, it had a whole maritime thing, you know, just like, so you can like, pretend like you're on a boat. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, so that was that was us last night. 
But okay, so moving on to this thing uh, about quitting Twitter. Uh, so okay, uh, Teen, why, why don't we start with you? So wh- when did this idea first come to you? Like, I should try weaning myself off. Well, I I told you last time I quit like Netflix, and then I st- I've just been thinking like, I don't know, Twitter is. I I I, I kind of knew that Twitter was not behaviorally like the best thing to do. And, uh, you know, cause it has like this addictive quality or whatever. And then I just thought about it and I was like, you know, what's going on is like, it's kind of driving me mad because it's the same thing every day. It's the same set of stuff that I'm getting pissed about. It's the same calling out the same Sinophobic articles, calling out the same, you know, the Seth Berkman type article in the nation. This is far from the first one we've seen. And it's the same people who a lot of people I like on Twitter. It's not no knock on them, but it became a circle jerk. And and then I realized I am on a loop. It's a Groundhog's Day situation. I wake up every day and it was starting to make every day feel the same. I was not having different intellectual or psychological or emotional uh, experiences. It was being anchored by my Twitter experience. And I was therefore living the same day over and over. And I'm like, I'm pretty bored. I, I, I feel pretty bored. So I feel like I would it be the that. first thing you do when you, when you kind of like gain consciousness in the morning? Like you 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 know roll over, take your phone out, and check your Twitter. No, not okay. I, I, so didn't I didn't get that. that. I didn't go that far. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it would be it would be in the morning. Yeah, for sure. Like after I got up, got ready, logged into work, checked emails, uh, checked the news, whatever. I you know by lunchtime I'm I'm checking Twitter. You know mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Adam, what about you? Um, it was a little bit of that, um, but also I think it was just I was uh, feeling like my mental health was taking it. Like I, it, I was so? feeling worse um, yeah, did you make for being part of Twitter, right? Like I, I wouldn't open it and and read whatever um, and feel informed or feel good or. It wasn't even neutral. It it was it would just piss me off or get me angry or make me sad or something. And I realized like I realized that um, I wasn't really getting anything out of it um, that was positive at least. And if I wanted to inform myself, there are plenty of other ways to find out what's going on from just like a news perspective uh, than using Twitter. Like, what so. would make you mad? I mean, like Teen talked about like the the xenophobic stuff mostly. Yeah. Uh, uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff, um, you know, f- specifically for me, you know, just some, you know, adopt, adopt, adoption stuff and opinions, um, you know, hearing about how some, you know, some people I would follow were being treated because uh, thankfully I wasn't really, you know, the, the target of a lot of vitriol, but just, you know, just, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the opinions and the the way that people talk to other people on there um, would piss me off. And then I just, I'm like, what am I doing? If I respond, how is this doing anything? It's not really, um, I, I, I can spend my time, you know, offline, you know, eat, chatting with people or talking with people on the phone or making connections over email uh, that are much more fruitful than like owning them on Twitter. Right. Like just what's it doing? Yeah. What do you, what do you guys think you were what well, like in the best, like best idealized form of Twitter experience that that you know besides the more 
base impulses of wanting to to feel angry or to to you know own somebody what what was like the highest ideal of using twitter, twitter? i think um you know, I, I two things. One is, and Adam, I bet you feel the same way. Like I yeah. don't demonize. I don't think Twitter's like this awful thing. I think like you can have a, a good relationship with Twitter. I just think that it was starting to become a little bit dysfunctional for me. But I sure. like number one. I met a lot of people on Twitter that I think I'm very happy I met, like Kyle, like sure, yeah. Picks, and they've come on. And I think part of it was like I know them now, so I don't need Twitter to stay in touch with them. Right, exactly. Right. And there are plenty of people, they may not have my direct contact. So I've left like an alternative email there for me for uh, on there for people to find me. But like, I'm not, and I'm not hard to find, right? So if they want to find me, they can always contact us through the pod, or they can contact someone who does know me like Kyle or, or Pix or whatever, and ask for my email address, right? So that's number one was you can meet people off Twitter. But you, yeah. take, you can take those relationships offline, which we have, which I have. Yes, exactly. Right? Exactly. And I know like Adam, you and you and Kyle, uh, you know, are working on stuff and that's an offline non-Twitter relationship yep. now. Right. So you don't yeah, need absolutely. To, to stay in touch with him. And then so not, so that's one. So I, I appreciate Twitter for that. And then number two is, I mean, I've had a few of my um, uh, I've had a few of my tweets go viral and I've wondered which ones – I've always wondered why do these catch on mm-hmm. versus some others. And I realized like Twitter does – you know, your goal is in many ways to make viral tweets, right? You don't want to just get 40 likes. You want to get 2,000 likes, right? You want it to pass around. And uh, in order to do that, I think you do have to really get to the heart of the idea you're trying to say. And you really got to make your point at like in an elevator pitch, cut to the bone, right? Like straight away, mm. like no, no dancing. You just got to go straight for the point. Uh, and I thought that that took some skill to do. Um, and so I thought it was like the antithesis of doing like writing, you know, like more longer form writing. It was just like in this many characters trying get your point across you know as as uh sharply and succinctly as possible right there's yeah. a skill to that yeah but there's also a danger to that because i remember this was a champagne sharks episode it's probably at least a couple of years old i forgot what the name of the guest was on she's a she's like a south asian american writer i think her name starts with n or something but she also uh i think she was like one of the more early adoptive users of twitter and she went off of it for a couple of years to focus more on kind of longer form writing which is what she'd always wanted to do because i think she was a journalist uh but i I remember her saying on the episode she realized that it's sometimes like an exclusive uh skill set you can either be good at tweeting or you can be good at more traditional writing yeah and Mm -hmm. yeah that's probably it's it's not always going to be complimentary like it's kind of an either or and she one of her struggles was she'd been tweeting so much that it had come at the expense of her ability to write and you know hopefully she kind of regained that ability but it's not entirely harmless uh if you if your objective is not just to be you know the, the world's greatest tweeter i i sort of instinctively agree with that because um 
I haven't done much writing since I've been on, you know, <laughs> really busy on right. Twitter. So, you know, it's not like it fosters writing. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's... It fosters no. more tweeting. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, um, what is it? I think that is my... Like, I've always been very kind of cagey on Twitter. Uh, I've always treated it as... Um, I've always... I've always assumed some some like one of you know one of my haters was like policing everything I said. So I'm like I'm I'm not gonna say anything that they can get put out of context. I'll say if you know because you know you get more room with articles, well even podcasts. Um, but uh, what was I gonna say? Right, right. So, but in another but another reason that I've I've kind of been wary of Twitter is like you are giving away stuff for free. And not just in a uh, monetary sense, but I, I've heard a lot of stories about you know people getting their ideas stolen and um, and things like that. So it's like okay, you're putting all this effort away from something you truly want to do for what really? It's like okay, you yeah, get, you got some yeah. more followers, you got some more tweet, retweets and likes, but assuming that you want to do that to an end let's say like someone like me, like I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, writing and stuff. If that's your ultimate interest, um, why not just do that more, devote more of your time to that rather than hoping that devoting 90% of your um, energy into this endeavor will lead to the thing you really want to do at the risk of somebody else, like taking your stuff. But the way you've said that is it's probably an objective description of what's going on, but it doesn't describe the subjective feeling of Twitter because Twitter is not, it doesn't feel like it's requiring energy. Like, mm -hmm. it, you, you don't sit down and think, I'm going to do a little tweeting today. You know, it, whereas when you write, you're like, I'm going to sit down, I got to write. Or if you're going to do anything, like, you're, you know, you right. gotta, any kind of, you know, sort of thing that takes more focus, you're like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do this. R never did I sit down and think, okay, ah. Tweeting time. Tweeting today. <laughs> it's it was it's a yeah. it's a weird it's it's a very like effortless thing. It's like a little thought. You know what it is? It's like it is the the the, the length of the tweet sort of matches up with like you know an idea like the the amount of the content of an idea that like pops into your head. It's not like a thought out thing, you know, it's like a idea pops into your head and then you're like, I could tweet that. It's you know? like a stream of consciousness. <laughs> it's a stream of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, it, and these are thoughts that don't take a lot of effort. They, they're just like these thoughts that pop up and then you're like, you become, you're like, I'm going to tweet that. I, I, like, I agree with you, Teen, that mm -hmm. the act of tweeting, just sort of like physically tapping it out and sending it. Right. And, and most of the time you're also not even like uh baking the idea for that long right like as you said it like sort of pops into your head and as you get better at tweeting maybe um it just sort of comes out in a more viral or more potentially viral f uh, way um but even if that's true and i think that's true i i have i found it to be very enervating though like it, it drained my energy like the the which sort of seems like a contradiction, but like, even though like the physical act of tweeting that doesn't take a lot of energy, unlike the physical act of like writing and, and, and the writing process, um, longer form writing process, um, just being involved with Twitter, like, you know, took a lot of my own energy 
and time. Uh, and I, and yeah, and, and I felt like, it, like you mentioned about how, like, it is good for making connections with some people, right? And I've made some really good, you know, met a lot of great people, um, formed friendships. Uh, but, and like what you were saying, Chris, like, I realized like that there are other things I want to be doing um, that, you know, I'm, I'm not doing because I'm taking time to like tweet. Uh, and I'd rather like put energy and time into those other endeavors than whatever time I was doing on, you know, spending on Twitter. And I was spending a fair amount of time on Twitter, yeah, right? Like it was, it was starting to bother me. I was like, wait, yeah. when I took, when I thought about it, I'm like, wait, I was on Twitter like half the fucking day. Like I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I gotta stop this. I, I wasn't I, quite at the Elon Musk level where it's like 24 seven, but you know, it was a good amount of my waking hours. I was like, this protein. is too much. I, I also felt like I just stopped meeting new people. It was the same people. And I was yes, like, I don't true. need to keep in touch with these people on, on Twitter. I, yeah. I can have, I can keep in touch with them off, off of Twitter. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, so. there's a, do you guys know who Emily Gould is? Yeah. Okay. So she is, uh, Adam, do you know who Emily Gould is? N- no, that doesn't ring a bell. Okay. So she was a writer, uh, most kind of well-known, I think in the early 2010s. I think she was, okay. I think she was a writer for Gawker. Um, oh, but right. I think, I think she and, uh, Lena Dunham had an infamous feud cause I think she accused <laughs> Lena Dunham of basing Hannah, the character of Hannah on girls on her or something. So, oh, I mean, that okay. tells you everything you kind of need to know about her, but, uh, she wrote this great, uh, essay, basically all about her regrets as, as a writer. Cause she kind of flamed out, um, you know, she became very notorious for being this very mean, snarky writer, I think on Gawker. And then she got this big book deal, and then she published the, uh, the novel, which I've read. It's, it's, it's very not good. And uh, she kind <laughs> of, you know, she because of her like big advance and everything, and the way that things work in the publishing world, that kind of means if you don't make it back, you're nobody wants to touch you anymore. So sure, anyway, yeah. one of the things she would discuss is, um, like she, you know, she would have this deadline coming up. And instead of actually writing, she would just tweet a ton and she would convince herself that this was actually part of the writing process. Like technically she's writing, she's gotten out a certain number of words and hey, maybe it's helping her, uh, you know, visibility or, you know, she gets more followers. It kind of indirectly helps her as a writer, but she was like, no, it it really wasn't writing. It was just me procrastinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you guys talked about meeting people through it. And I also think that is the the best use of it. So I, I think the ideal way is just leave it like Tina, I, I also wouldn't delete your account, but just, just leave it kind of as like a post box, post off, like um postal box or whatever. Mm, yeah. Um, so that people, well, I guess you don't use your real name. So that, that's a, that's a little different, but mm-hmm. you know, for me, like I use my real name and if you ever do publish articles, they will ask for a, a Twitter account. Yeah. And it's it's certainly less intrusive than, say, giving away your personal email. And then people can DM you on Twitter if they, you know, like other things you do outside of Twitter. So I think that's probably the best way. Because, you know, when you first start out, uh, you have, like, you know, zero followers and following nobody. It's kind of a uphill climb. But, you know, we've had it for a while. We have a decent number of followers so that it, it doesn't look like we're bots. <laughs> so, you know, if people look us up, we'll be there and, you know, they can reach out to us if you want. And I think, I think that serves, uh, as I said, the, the highest ideal of Twitter, which is to connect people with like-minded strangers. 
I'm going to tell Sham that. I'll say, Chris said I shouldn't delete it. <laughs> Chris is a smart man. Uh, Atin, how many, how many tweets have you tweeted? Uh, you know, you see the counter. Like, what, last time you checked. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and I also, at many, several points, went and deleted my all my history. So whatever's there oh is probably, God. like, only half of what, what, what was ultimately. Yeah. I think sometime last year, I, I like, deleted. Uh, I scrubbed, like, everything before, let's say, summer of 2021 or something. And I think I was around... Somewhere like seven, eight thousand tweets, I think. So now wow. I'm I'm down to like eight hundred. Wow, I, dude! And you don't even tweet as much as like I did or Teen did. <laughs> and you had right, seven thousand. Right. I, I, like, I just felt like I had some cringe shit when I first started on Twitter, and like I I could go one by one and do, but whatever. It's like no, uh, yeah. let's expunge that from the record. If, if somebody is so obsessed with me that they screenshotted it, then let that be. Whatever. I don't think I've ever said anything that I can't defend anyway. But still, it was just like I don't want that uh, around. So. Yeah, like, would you would you ever think about just wiping out more team? Wiping out what? Like more like, tweets? Like you would still have your account, but you'd be like, okay, let's let's delete everything before like twenty twenty two. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't really care about the tweets. I mean, I, it it it's a it is a collection of shame. You know, like not <laughs> not so much that I don't like my own tweets. It's more like what like even though this didn't feel like work, that is still work. Like that, if I was to look at a, a like a montage video of myself tweeting, sort of bent over, like looking <laughs> at a, my, my bright phone in a dark room or, you know, like sort of like shirking work while just on my computer, just tweeting and then getting emotional about it. I'm like, why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. What? I don't have anything to show for any of this. It's just a bunch <laughs> of shitty tweets. And then, I, oh, I have 8,000-some followers. Who are these people? I don't care about these people. I don't even know who they are. Somebody just recent, just like just a few in the last hour, followed me on Twitter. I'm sure she's a bot. Her name's Mary Walton, and her bio is, I'm a single woman with no kid, need a husband. It's like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> That's <laughs> definitely a bot. And it's just like, what is this shit? Um, but as I said, it is very nice uh, to give people a chance to like reach out or vice versa if I want to reach out to someone not i'm not a big instagram user and instagram's not as conducive to meeting you know strangers or exchanging ideas facebook you know forget about it um tiktok hell no so you know this is what we've got so far i guess reddit's the other one speaking of reddit okay so just before this podcast totally by coincidence i was just so i went to a um michelle branch concert last weekend nice and michelle branch i love michelle branch and the last time i went that. And, and the last time I went to a Michelle Branch concert was around this time in 2017 at the exact same venue in Webster Hall. Ooh, so I was just curious. Like a Webster what did I, Hall. <laughs> yeah. What, what was I? Because I wrote about it in my journal like years ago then. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I just, I'm curious like what, what was going on in my life back then. So I was reading it. But that was 2017 and it's like leading up to the, to the end of summer of 2017. Coincidentally, that was also when Plan A got started. So I was reading through all these entries where I was like, oh, I met Teen for the first time. I met Adam for the first time. <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time, okay, plan A was essentially me saying, okay, enough of Reddit. I want to do the next thing. So if this is us now saying, all right, Twitter, enough with that. Let's do the next thing. What what, what do you guys think the next thing is? Because we already did plan. We are doing plan A. We already did the pod. What is up next? Because mm. I think like you guys were talking about, um, you know, because I think the the real... I mean, the whole reason we did things like Reddit and even Plan A was we felt like it was really hard to meet 
like-minded people in real life. We either had to go into these online spaces like Reddit or later on Twitter and also like write these articles that, that were like flares, you know, shot up mm-hmm. in the sky. Hey, find us, come, come get us. Uh, but now I think now that we've done that, we have enough of a kind of like a, our own circle, uh, our own network of people or places we feel like we could go in person to, to find. Um, and I think that is our, that w- that's always been our ultimate goal to go beyond just internet spaces and actually have, uh, you know, like real life friends and, you know, other people who, who kind of share similar views. And I, I think that's, I think that's the next step, but also, you know, writing more, less like ephemeral stuff, you know, like, like a, like a, a tweet can go viral one day and then th- the next week it's just like, you can't, you can barely find it because it just gets buried under another million tweets. But let's say you write a piece, hell, you might even write a book or other projects like that. That is, has more lasting value. I think that is the next step. Yeah, I'd like to write more. I, I'd like to just be like, look, if I, if I've got the, if I've got it, you know, it in me to do like 20,000 tweets. <laughs> Wait, let's do the math. Okay. Yeah. 20,000 tweets. Let's say each tweet is what the character limit is what? 400 characters. I've turned a thread. 240, I think. I've turned a thread of about um, probably like 15 tweets into an article. Mm-hmm. Uh, one about blockchain. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of words, man. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of words. I, I don't know what the calculation would be, but it would be a lot of articles. I mean, most of them are not article worthy. And a, a problem is a lot of them are repetitive. You're saying the same thing over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. Uh, which was the, it was, that was the quality of Twitter that made me want to quit. I was like, I am stuck in a loop. There's nothing mm-hmm. inherent about Twitter that was a problem for me other than I was circling the drain, you know, around and around. And then I was becoming like, Bill Murray in that in in Groundhog's Day, it was like, I I log in, I know exactly what I'm going to be confronted with. I know you know, mm. and I, you just some days you just go through the motions, and I'm like, why am I doing this? Uh, it was just that circularity uh, that was driving me insane. Yeah. Um, and so whatever I do now, it's like I just don't want to be repetitive. I want to do something where it's like I actually get better at this, and then I build up, you know, some forward progress here. You know, yeah. So. Another another thing that makes Twitter very alluring is is kind of like the instant feedback, positive feedback. Yes, that, nobody can, nobody can right. downvote you. On right. That's a big deal. That is a big uh, that's true. And I think that is what draws people in. Like let's say let's say you're going to write an article that's going to take several months, and uh, you know who knows what the payoff will be at the end. If you're going to writing a book, even even worse, it even, could take yeah. years, even and longer, it might yeah. not even get picked up at the end. It could, you could just sit on your shelf or something. With Twitter, you know, it, it, within maybe a couple hours, you know, uh, if people respond positively to it, and you'll you'll rack up followers and stuff, and it's probably good at at an early stage. Let's say you're not very confident in your ideas, you're like, I, I need to get it out there, kind of run it by people, see if I'm not a total kook. Well, actually, no, it, it, but you could be a total kook and you just find your own kooks, and they'll yes. give you a bad encouragement. That's another issue. But uh, at a certain point, I think it is. Hey, you know what? This is too easy. Uh, I gotta, I gotta challenge myself more and it's nice. It's like junk food, you know, it's like, is it a little bit is fine, you know? Um, and you can even like just eat chips for a whole day. It's not bad if you do it like once in a while, but if it becomes like your, your, your daily diet. nutrition, yeah, you can, yeah. you can get horribly unhealthy. Yeah. 
So I, I would not put out a general like, oh, hey, you know, Twitter rots your brain and social media is like terrible. Cut it out. I, I, I think that's overstating it. But if you start feeling if you yourself are like. Dude, why, why did I tweet? Like, if you have that thought of like, why did I spend so much time tweeting yeah. today? It's probably time to get off of Twitter, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So just follow that instinct of like, I don't feel like I'm, you know, I, it's like that. I ate too much shit, you know, like I ate too much. I ate too many fucking potato chips, like that kind of mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah. Get off. Yeah. Stop it. All right. Uh, well, we were talking about writing articles. Let's move on to the to the second half of this episode where we will go in depth into this article that, you know, I, I briefly mentioned at the beginning, the one in The Nation by Seth Berkman, which is the title we were supposed to help asian migrant women instead we got police so i mean before you guys chime in i'll just give the gist of this uh this article which i I read for the first time just before this pod it's a it's about this the the writer is saying how the atlanta spa murders specifically but then also just like all the attacks on high, high relatively high profile attacks on asian americans in the last couple of years have uh the whole like stop asian hate kind of not like I think just the movement itself, but just that sentiment has been hijacked by what he calls the aesthetic activist, which he is like a collection of either naive uh, people who are easily kind of um, co-opted by kind of like the establishment, especially like the police or they're, they're kind of nefarious right wingers slash techies who are uh, either trying to push a right wing agenda or just in it for themselves trying to promote, their NFTs or whatever, and standing on the other side, on the heroic uh, side of righteousness, uh, is the Asian American Feminist Collective and uh, Red Canary Song, a group that we potted with, and and I think Red Canary Song is pretty cool. Uh, Asian American Feminist Collective, I mean, based on who who they're associated with, like with like Jen Fang and those types, I'm much more wary of. But it, it yeah, so that that's the that's the gist of this piece. So, uh, what did you guys think? Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand the, I mean, we were talking about this before we started talking. I don't understand the, um, the line that he's drawing. Yeah. But because yeah. like, okay. So for example, like I, I, I don't, I think everything he wrote here is crap. Okay. But like when he talks about, um, this theatrical, uh, activism, he said that includes, I mean, it's just dripping with condescension, right? Um, there's this, let me find it real quick. Sorry. Let me do a control F. Okay. So he says after the Atlanta, he writes after the Atlanta shooting, a wave of mostly young rookie activists were energized, but their ideas for action were calls for more representation and band-aid solution to protect Asian communities. Like spending a weekend afternoon, holding a self-defense class, walking elders to the subway and handing out whistles and pepper spray. The performative acts were dutifully captured for Instagram with hashtags like stop Asian hate. Okay, everything about this fucking sucks. Number one is calls for more representation. Who's calling for more representation? He's clearly yeah. describing Dragon Combat Club. And I know those guys, and they hate representational politics. And then nothing that they spent here, that they said, spending a weekend afternoon holding a self-defense class, walking elders to the subway handing out whistles and pepper spray. None of that's representation. Right. So They also sound like extremely about? good practical solutions that yeah, most how, normal people can do. Right. How is walking elders to the subway, and it's actually walking elders to and from the subway, helping them carry bags or whatever. How is that performative? What, who are you performing for? I didn't see them doing that. 
What are yeah, they talking like, about? It, it's also like, he implies that they like did it once just yeah. for like a photo op. Like no, they no, do it all the time. They and, do it all the time. This yes. is like and you something see, they do constantly. Yes, and when you see people who are trying to think outside of the quote, we can talk about this carceral stuff in a sec. But like people who are saying like, look, we can't just rely on cops. We can't, we got. They're saying stuff like what what uh what if. You know, I'm thinking maybe like Asians instead of bitching could put together like, I don't know, community patrols that help, you know, that sort of like escort people at night or whatever. I'm like, they're already fucking doing that. This is what walking Elvis. That's what this is. But then he's going to call it performative. What is he talking? Who is this fucking guy? Okay, the key uh, word in that sentence is rookie activists. This is these are the veteran activists who are threatened because for in their view for whatever reason they're not getting enough time uh, uh attention and money and instead they feel like they're getting um overshadowed by these groups it's basically like the, the you know on a sports team it's it's the old guys being threatened by the rookies they're like you 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 uh, young fellas you don't know the the way you know you might jump higher than me you might be faster than me but trust me i know how to win championships it's that kind of bullshit because like for example yeah walking elders to the that's the exact type of solution that uh these the, the seth berkman allies would say is the uh antidote not um you know car source solutions yet in this sentence he says right. that's he- actually performative so it's like what is the solution that you want i'll tell you what the solution he really wants more funding for these uh you know think tanks right. and uh you know nonprofits so that they can come up with like something like the Asian American disinformation report which one of the people named in this article uh, Rachel Kuo who's uh, apparently one of the like presidents of the Asian American Feminist Collective she was one of the key architects of that report so that's what they that's what they're saying the real uh, solution is no 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 don't, don't do this thing where you're actually out there helping people Oh, one of the solutions that we ourselves often cite as one of the things to do. No, no, no. You got to give us the money. You got to give us the speaking gigs. You got to give us the book deals and all that. Uh, that's what this article is really about. It's a factionalism debate and nothing to do with ideas because a lot of these ideas are not mutually exclusive and a lot of people no, espouse not, them. Yeah. Exactly. We yeah. know all these people. Ron Kim's in this fucking thing. I mean, we know these people, right? So he's pitting Dragon Combat Club against like Ron Kim. I'm like, why? I don't see any fucking division yeah. between this at all. Yeah, Red Canary Song and Ron Kim go together. Sure, Dragon Combat. That's how we even met Red Canary Song in the first place through Ron Kim. Well, I think he's putting them on the same side of stuff. But I'm saying like, oh yeah, that's true. I I don't see. Okay, but I'm I'm at Seth Berkman's uh, website, SethBerkman.squarespace.com, and it's nothing but selling, trying, pushing a book that he published a while ago called A Team of Their Own. And it's about. I think he's a sports writer. I went through his. Yeah, like, yeah. He, he's got a bunch of stuff on New York Times. Most of it's on sports. I honestly thought yeah. this because he must be on a, like a Korean opti because he says he, he's born well, so. I was gonna, he is. So right. I, so, I, I met, I've met him like a few times. Okay. Um, you know. But anyway, I mean, so his he's he's calling this performative activism or whatever, and I'm looking at his website, and it's like December 2020 selection for uh, Stephen Seven Curry's underrated book club. 2019 best of uh, ESPN's The Undefeated, Minnesota Public Radio, and Outside Magazine. Okay, so so what do you do? You're hawking a book, and you're calling other people performative activists because they're helping elderly people from the subway to their homes so they don't get attacked. Yeah. The, fuck, it, look, sorry, man. Fuck you. You're an asshole. Also, it, well, okay, so okay, I I, I mean, we all. Like in the in the general sense, we all hate like aesthetic activists as well. But notice who he doesn't call out. Remember, just like 
was it a month ago uh, that stupid uh, Huffington Post article by that woman who was like, okay, uh, we've had we've talked enough about actual violence. Why don't we talk about the real problem, which is my dating problems with like white dudes? Why not call that? Uh, oh, it's because that she's probably kind of buddies with the whole um, Asian American, you know, feminist collective, and, and they're a whole crowd. Like that's the untouchable topic. So that is actually not aesthetic activism. That's actually real activism somehow. Meanwhile, teaching elderly how to uh, protect yeah. themselves or actually protecting them in their day to day life that's performative. It is such bullshit it's why stop asian hate was bullshit from the get-go and nobody should have any faith in any of the leaders of that so-called movement yeah th this whole article is just really very confusing like and it's not like i know seth that well um but i think i i get i don't know angrier or more disappointed when i feel like asian adoptees are are used um as sort of like Asian enough, but also like white enough. Um, and it's like, he's, he's like perfectly positioned to be a pawn. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if he, you know, I don't know if he believes that he was used, but um, he, he was used. And, um, you know, it, that, Wait, wait, sorry, I, I missed that. You, you said he was used by who do you think he was used by? Uh, I think he's being used by um you know the the like the Gen Fangs and the you know oh, the the um Asian American feminist collective or like the this particular like you know, this particular nonprofit or activist crowd. Um and also sort of he's being used by the nation to to launder these ideas, right? Like He's Asian enough so that like people can't be like, oh, this was written by, you know, like a non-Asian person. Uh, it's like, so he has a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, <clears throat> uh, he's got some standing there, mm -hmm. but you know, he's not too Asian, so he's not going to be too biased, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's just we, like a weird. I mean, there, there's in this whole kind of activist, uh, you know, pseudo intellectual world, there, there is some kind of battle going on that I, I, I think we can see kind of from a distance, but there's got to be something going on because we saw this with, with the whole uh, freak out over Andrew Yang at the beginning where like I, nobody even really knew that much about him, but there was like such a, like I thought, a disproportionate uh, hatred of him. Like regardless of what he did after, it was... They didn't know that, you know, whatever stupid stuff he was going to say later. They didn't really know that. It just felt like, so I think the factions are, you have this kind of old school established uh, academic class. The, these are like the old Asian, like, you know, descendants of kind of the Asian American studies tradition. You're, you know, Dr. Jen Ho's and, you, you know, like all deaf, um, uh, Asian Americans advancing justice, the whole nonprofit academic uh, slash maybe even like journalism and, and writers, that kind of world. And I think the other side is very kind of tech funded, and I think, I think the the comparative advantage of both groups is the the academic old school. They have access to white people. They have the credibility bestowed upon them by those white, and also uh, I think a lot of uh, you know non Asian minorities, especially black people. They have those connections, which lets them at least in that little world uh, be the faces of Asian America. And then on the other side, you got the kind of newer kids on the block. They are more because they keep like you know mentioning like NFTs and stuff. Like what does like you know? It felt very odd that they would 
say things like that. So I think they they feel like their biggest threat comes from this kind of new money crowd. They're probably more uh, less Asian American. They're probably a lot of like 1.5 gen, maybe even like first gen, maybe like more Chinese. Uh, I think definitely more at least male coded. Notice how all the people they name as kind of like the the either the dupes or the enemies. Like all the names they name, uh, like Andrew Lee, Ben Wei, Jack Liang, and then it's so funny. They mention um, Evelyn Yang, Andrew Yang's uh, wife, but then they also know, oh, she's married to Andrew Yang, so they have to like slip him in there too. And even BTS at the end, they're like, yeah, you know, BTS is like unfairly stealing all our attention. <laughs> and it's it's there's there's some kind of civil war going on that we can kind of see, but I'm sure it runs like the details we don't quite know because we're not in that world. And we saw it, remember, with the freakout over JCK's book and how uh, Dr. Jen Oak uh, called him a, an MR Asian because of, because of what? I've read that book. There's like, there's nothing. It's like He's half of it's just about Asian, him yeah. growing up uh, playing sports and the, and the other half is, you know, it's like, yeah. It's a, he did, he did it's a, a lot of drugs, war. you know, that kind of thing. It's a turf war. That's all it is. It's, it's, it, they're squabbling over the scraps, over, yeah, this. I was going to say that there are... I think there's uh there's that it's a turf war, but it's also, um, you know, I, I think that the reason this got published in the nation and this is like you said, I think this is, this is consistent with the disinformation thing. Uh, and, and like that, I think that this is really about showing who, what, what faction of Asian American writers not even activists, because they don't give a shit about activists, but writers and media people uh, should be listened to in the mainstream media such that that they will be sort of playing, they'll be supportive uh, allies of the liberal progressive wing of the Democrat Par- Democratic Party. Because the last thing they want yeah. is to deal with a law and order backlash to the liberal progressive uh, agenda. Because... Not for any other reason, and it has nothing to do with whether people care about Asians or don't care about Asians or whatever. They don't. Nobody cares about anybody. What this is about, ultimately, I think, when you look upwards, is preventing there being a, a large-scale schism within the Democratic Party, similar to the one that we saw, it, uh, that we saw in the Republican Party, a sort of populist revolt, and it's happening. And again, it goes back. I think this all started in San Francisco and the Chesa Boudin recall. And this is why they keep using that term carceral. Now, I want to ask someone like Seth Berkman if he were to ever come talk to us, but he won't. I know this because he don't, he's not about debating these issues. He's about performing for uh, the, the right audience. But when you talk about the Atlanta spa shootings, are you saying that we shouldn't throw that motherfucker in prison? What do you mean by we we want we we shouldn't want carceral solutions? Are you saying that that guy who who murdered you know a shitload of people, right? That he shouldn't go to prison? Is that what you're saying? What does this mean? Why why is what does that have to do with carceral solutions and well, and, he, and, and and supporting carceral solutions? Well, he can't say it out loud, but what he would probably say, let's say we had a few beers and he was like off the record. He can go to jail because he's white. That's that we all know. That's what. Okay, so they would so say. so so the guy who killed Nash, the guy who killed Chris, raped and stabbed Christina Unali to death, should he not go to prison? He's black. 
I, I think they would. Uh, uh, he and Hall. I don't know. I mean, like, well, it's. I think yeah. it, it crosses so many. Because it's like, okay, if you let him go free, you're you're against anti, uh, you're against Asian women. But then if you make him go to jail, then or prison, right? You're you being anti-black, people, right? Yeah. And it's extremely inconvenient for them socially. So so he has no position. Look, I'm just curious. I'm like, when someone murders someone, are you saying that we shouldn't put that person in prison behind bars? Like, I don't care about the race. Because as far as I know, when we first started talking about prison reform in this country, it really had to do everyone that was talking about moving away from carceral solutions was really talking about nonviolent crimes. Right. Right. Okay. And and if you want people to support the now it's true, like America has the United States has by far the highest incarceration rate of any country on earth, including Russia or what Cuba, all the ones that you think about that are, you know, just just gulags. Okay. We have a larger prison population both in terms of per capita and and like total actual number. Yeah. Yeah. Including India and China, which have like four times, you know, five times the number of people we do or whatever, right? Okay. It's true. We have a fucking prison problem. And it's racist. It's incredibly racist. So I agree that, that that's a problem. Now, when people first started talking about this, this was limited to nonviolent offenders. But now we're talking about in the same fucking article, like in, in the sub, in the headline, that... We shouldn't support carceral solutions in the case of a mass murderer, right? I don't yeah. understand they, they what can't, the fuck but this guy's talking about. They can't. No, they, no. they can't. What his them. real position is is don't make us say it. That's the that's the injustice. Like, what, what does that mean? Asian, don't make us say it. Like, make, don't make us be the one. Like Asian Americans or like Asian Americans like him be the ones to say, yeah, if you, uh, let's say like a black person attacks an, uh, an Asian person, uh, he or she needs to be imprisoned. Everyone kind of implicitly understands because it's like it's so ridiculous to not, to think otherwise, yeah. but don't make us be the ones to have to say it. That's the real racism. Because then it's going to be extremely uh, bad for my social standing. You're going to make me a pariah in my, in my uh, workplace or in my, among my friends. Or yeah. something. I mean, obviously, so, I don't care about that. No, nor right. should anybody. But these people, to them, their uh, lifestyle comfort it should be the number one priority of all racial activism. Well, you see it themselves. in everything they do. That's what they fundamentally believe, no matter what they say. So all these Asians dying is making it making their lives very uncomfortable. That's what that's what the real problem is. Yeah, I, I, it, it's just intolerable. Like, it's just. I mean, I, honestly, I, I I've been thinking about trying to write a response article to this, but I'm like. You know, I mean, someone's got to respond to this shit. Right. But another thing yeah. that's so pathetic about this piece is, as I said, if there's any group of Asian Americans who've been given a, have been anointed uh, with the attention and the money of being like the conscience, the liberal conscience of Asian America or the conscience in general, it's these people. But you think this so? Are, are you sure? Because... I, I'm not. I think he got this published in the nation, but I don't think the nation really stands behind this. You know, I think it's well. They stand by it more than say like a China Mac, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, China Mac is not a. You know, he's not going to be writing articles for the nation. I, I understand, but like, I, I do think that there's room for a counterpoint to this because I'll tell you why. This is the 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 the, the law and order backlash is coming. It's happening. 
and they gotta they gotta talk about this straightforwardly. Yeah, I, yeah I, and I do yeah. think that there are Asian. There is definitely a, a need and room for Asian American voices who are going to give a different side to this, and it can be well. It can be done well, and I think that after the Chester Boudin thing, there were a lot of liberals and Democrats that came out and said, "Hey, you know, maybe we need to rethink what's going on," because th- there. I don't think that the answer to this is just everyone just puts, you know, uh, you know, puts puts blinders on and pretends like this isn't happening. It is happening. There's a lot of crime. No, no, yeah, I I agree that it's a mistake for them to just sort of shame people into, um, you know, that question sort of the anti-carceral message. Like, yeah, well, there can be room, but at this moment there is nobody really occupying that space so these yes. like the seth berkman type are the ones who have been given that platform and now he's like whining in this piece that uh these rookies have essentially uh taken over then like well if you if they could take over that easily then you never had any standing with your own community to begin with so you're like making a bad case for yourself either no, way. But, but this is my point and, and and i talked to like uh q andre you know andre Domis. He's he's talked about this. I know Trevor has brought this up with us before that. Look, at this point, and this is this is kind of in line with me quitting Twitter is like, let's stop bitching because we all understand that we hate this shit. Right. Like for those of us that get this. Why is it just Seth Berkman that's that's sending? And now Chris is different because he's been he's been writing for and trying to get his stuff out there. We need more of that. Like, you know, this is just reading yeah. this stuff. I'm like, I, I, they, they publish it in the nation and then they get backlash on Twitter by people who are, you know, don't abide by uh, the editorial standards of these publications and are just like, and, and I'm probably more guilty than anyone of this, going on a tirade on Twitter against this stuff, which is not as convincing. It is not as legitimized as someone who sits down writes a very well thought out and politically expedient response to this. Someone who not only knows how this is wrong, but sees how that there is a different politically expedient view to be expressed here as well. Not just fuck this guy, which I feel, which I want to say, (laughs) but also like, look, this is a, this is a losing view for the democratic party. This is a, this is a, this is a pointless, mindless, uh, Abuse of the idea of anti-carceral solutions. Yeah. Th- uh, yes. You're abusing that term. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it, yes. I, I absolutely. Think I, I think I said this uh, before, but I think it was a bonus up, and I, I think it was you and me, team. So I'll just repeat it because this is going to be a free episode. But yeah. So earlier this year, I got a piece published in Current Affairs, and and the biggest lesson to me with that was it. Like I, I think the the Asian American blue checks will try to make. It seems as if they're the only ones saying anything intelligent or sane or you know uh, interesting, and that every other Asian American uh, should shut the fuck up. Maybe go on some you know dirty corner of Reddit, and that's that's where you belong. But uh, you know, current affairs they have no invested interest in Asian American stuff. They have no bias. Uh, you know, they just they just saw my pitch and they were like, okay, interesting. Let's well, we it. like yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm they sure took the nation it. So, is similar. Hmm. I'm sure the nation is probably yeah. Similar. So they just I, I think a we lot know of Tim, we named we know Tim Shorrock who has been on our on the pod and yeah. he writes for the nation. Yeah, 
So yeah. So these like, however, uh, like str- like stridently, these Asian American blue checks try to gatekeep. They're they're like trying to defend a, a goal that's like twenty feet wide, and they're just like. Two well, people. they're trying it's to like, gatekeep, and but they don't even actually have any power to do it, right? Right. So that, their, that's what I'm their saying. strategy like, to gatekeep is, is quite, is a, yeah, quite big. And right. I, I think for a while they've been able to fool a lot of us into thinking they got this on lockdown, and there's no hope. Well, so. That's what I mean, right? So their yeah. their only play is to discourage people from actually writing, or um, you know, sort of waste their energy by, uh, you know, going on tirades, um when you know so they don't really have any power to like stop a well thought out pitch and an actual article to be published by the nation they don't control the nation um they're they're just trying to get people to waste their energy not writing that piece yeah because once so. you do get published by like not, not the nation specifically but like uh, uh, of these places right, or right. you also start meeting people outside of your you know asian american circles and you find a lot of people actually agree with what you're saying like uh, teen, that thing that happened to us that night at Scratcher, right, right, where the the baffler guy overheard our conversation, and uh, or more like your rant, <laughs> yeah, and he was totally in agreement. And I bet a lot of your a lot of the um, you know Wilfred Chan types would have thought you were like a Hans supremacist for saying what you did or whatever. But that dude was like, I agree everything with what you said. Uh, yeah. So that's what they're that's what these like Asian American blue checks are afraid of. That once you get and we've said this like ever okay. since day one, it was just they're okay, afraid so, that so, once you get out of your bubble or the bubble they impose on you that they can't control you okay okay agreed we're all agreeing in this right now you asked the question what's next for mm-hmm. us right we all were on reddit we got off reddit did our plan a we all got on twitter now we're getting off twitter like this is what i i personally i'm just throwing this out there as a proposition right what i'd like to see is for us to help start to create, and this is I've, I've I've thought about this in an abstract sense from ve- the very beginning when I was on Reddit, and it, and it and it became it came to me because I, I really felt that there was something lacking, which was a real intellectual community, mm-hmm. meaning like not a political activist group, not uh you know not volunteers, not activists, but people who thought a lot and wrote a lot, a community of this that thought and wrote based on some pursuit of truth, okay? What I'd like to see is the beginning of that type of like a intellectual community, whether it's based online, I don't know how to organize it or whatever, but there's so many tools to do this now. It's so easy of people who we get to know each other, like we know each other Mm. and we help each other write just write articles and let's get them published you know what i mean and i and i've heard q talk about this and i've heard trevor talk about it's like it's time to stop complaining about the blue checks and admire them for what they do which is they get together and they fucking endorse each other they promote each other they yeah they publish each other right let's do that let's get a let's get a group of people not just Plan A people, but there's most of us are going to be interested in this too, right? Let's start seeding like a real like community of, of, of a group, a writer's group or whatever you want to call it. And the goal of it is just what, what, what is our like, what is our, what are the ideas that all of us want to promote? 
And how do these sync up? Like, how are these linked together? What kind of like picture can we put together that, that we think is actually missing uh, and has truth value to it? Not just political, you know, not just like helping, uh, uh, you, know, you know, helping the Democratic Party or whatever so we can get uh, NGO money or whatever, but real truth value. Like people actually committed to pursuing some you know, knowledge and truth about shit. And then like, let's, let's support each other to go write good articles and then push them out. Let's, uh, you know, push them out to people that we know, try to get this stuff published. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah. Next. And I, and I think actually like five years ago, that was the same idea, which is why we started plan A. Uh, but I think now we're thinking bigger. Plan A was more insular. It was just more Asian American focus. It was just trying to even legitimize our ideas mm-hmm. uh like i for one you know i had all these thoughts but i also was like mm, you know are, are these actual like legit thoughts or you know am i just being a crank or something i think five years later we're more confident like no these are not only very good ideas but we actually have a lot of unexpected uh, like sympathizers and all that so let's take that next step which is kind of doing the same thing but as i said on a bigger scale yeah and we know a lot of people yeah. i think I, I you know i get emails uh from people who uh, don't seem to know what they want, but they want us or me to like help them somehow, you know, like, or they want to come on the pod and talk about stuff. And, and, and I'm like, I kind of like, I don't know if that's really helpful for you. So what, what, what can be helpful is, is I think, um, and I think these people have like, someone was contacting me recently about, you know, just like a, a huge amount of anti or just a huge amount of like, bad <laughs> bad information out there when it comes to uh mental health services for asian americans and, mm. and and a lot of non-white peoples and i'm like look this this is a very serious problem and and i almost feel like you know i can't do this thing justice because it's not like i know much about this and you know the pod is not really the right media it's not gonna do anything in this regard but where does a person like that turn to? Like, where do you go to get support from other people to bounce ideas off of, listen to this person, maybe think of like, where can this person go to get out the thing that they want to say that's inside of them? And that's the thing that I felt from day one when I went on Reddit, because I was like, this is, there's nowhere for people to turn to if they, if they want to speak up about some of this stuff. There's no, there's no group there's no community. It's just these rando people on Reddit and their average IQ is pretty fucking low. You know? Uh, so, yeah, that's, the, you know, and, and like you said, Chris, I think Plan A itself, you know, we did pay a lot of writers. We did publish a lot of articles and we wrote a lot of articles. But like you said, I mean, it's insular. It is good for communicating within the within within group. But I think you're right. Like you said this before, you felt like you've exhausted a lot of the ideas that you wanted to write for something like Plan A, but there's more to it. And I think in that process of doing Plan A, we've all found ideas that really should get out there in the mainstream. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. I, I think it's, it's, I don't want to talk to other Asian Americans anymore because I already know which ones I care about, which ones I don't. <laughs> I've already, you know, like I've already decided which ones are worth my time and which ones are not. And let's find the ones that are worth our time. And let's just like fucking 
fight back against these the Seth Berkmans and the Jen Fangs of the world. And instead of cutting them down on Twitter, which is easy, and then you just get blocked, and then it's bullshit. Like, let's just go let, and let's not let's just go. Let's just all offer the 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 narrative that they don't want to get out. You know, instead of like personally insulting these people, which is fun. <laughs> you know, I like to know that they know that you know people don't like them. That's great, but uh, uh, I I would like to see the you know what really would would fuck them up is to get those ideas out there, mainstream them, legitimized, and it's the very ideas that they so desperately you know want to condemn. Uh, you know, and and honestly, I think people there's there's people fighting the good fight, and I think JCK has written a lot of great articles out there and he's gotten them really mainstreamed and stuff. And I'm very appreciative that someone like him is doing that. There needs to be more of that. It can't just be like yeah. just one guy, you know, yeah. maybe, so. maybe when we get more self-published, he won't be uh, so afraid to openly associate himself with us anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Did you see that uh, tweet he made? Uh, his um, book is now on paperback and he was like, please buy one and send one to my haters. <laughs> yeah. I know he was talking about Dr. Jen Ho. <laughs> After the way she went after him <laughs> online. Uh, you know what? Maybe I will buy one and send it to her. <laughs> um, print that. Oh out. my god. So right. okay. Well, I'm glad no, that we. That's... I'm glad this. I'm glad that you asked that question, Chris, because I've been thinking about it, and yeah, that's that's what I'd like to see. Well, we've been like thinking about see... it for a while. I remember when yeah. we were in Copic. Remember, like first mm-hmm. night, we were yeah. just like, hanging out in the in the backyard, and we were talking about it. And it's um, it's a question worth thinking deeply about it's not it's not like a snap answer that right we need but um it will determine kind of what we'll do for like i'd like next to few I, years. I, i'd like for us like just the three of us let's say i'd like to have more time with you guys where we're talking about articles we're writing mm-hmm. and, yeah and, and yeah. doing real deep dive like really trying to um do some work <laughs> you know what i mean yeah uh that would be to me a, a much much better way to refocus all that time that I instead had been, uh, I don't want to say wasting, but yeah, wasting on Twitter that it would be, I would be much more I would, like if I had done that for years, the kind of thing that I'm proposing, I feel like I would feel really good about it. You know, like two, two, three years from now, if we're doing something like this, I would feel really good about it versus now I look back on all this time on Twitter. I'm like, what was I doing? Well, it's, it's all part of an experience. It is. Um, it is I, I think of, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I think of my some of the stuff I I wrote. I mean, not not for planning, but uh, this is more in terms of like like fiction, you know. But it's like it, it's all part of a process. Even the stuff you hate, you got you got to get that out. So yeah. if you hated the stuff you tweeted, you probably had to get it out of your system at least. I didn't hate the stuff I tweeted. I hate the fact that I was do, just tw- the, the 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 I was throwing it all away on Twitter mm, when I yeah, should okay. have been honing it into you know like. Like, why am I letting a guy like Seth Berkman get away with writing shit like this? Why are any of us letting him get away with this without going right back to the nation or or something and saying, no, fuck this, fuck this. And these are all the reasons he's wrong. And this is one of the most easily rebuttable, easily, like, you know, just easily just like ripped apart articles I've ever seen. But no one's going to do it. And we should do it. It's you know, it, 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 they shouldn't get away with this shit. Is what I'm saying. We need to go back to the days when there were tons of writer feuds. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we that would be great. But unfortunately, no, there's no one on the other side of this, or very few. You know, 
And I would like to, you know, and I think if people saw that there were serious minded Asian American writers who were going in to mainstream publications and, and, and taking aim at this stuff and seeing that that can get mainstreamed, that that would uh, be of great service to people. You know, because they, 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 they wouldn't have to just get mad all the time and see themselves as, as you know, being defensive about stuff. They could and say like, like see them private and you know, yeah. grumble among their. Yeah. And say, oh, we're being friends, suppressed. Yeah. I, like you said, like you said, you know, these guys are chosen. No, they're not. You know what? I, I'm not sure they're chosen. I think that they're, they're for whatever reason, these people are just fucking more motivated to do to mainstream their work. And for whatever reason, I don't know why. And then the people who get mad about what they say are not. And I guess, you know, to, to yeah. sort of summarize what I'm proposing is like, let's fight back yeah. and say, yeah. Let, yeah. you know, let, let, let's, let's also say, okay, whatever these fucking idiots can do, we can do much better than this, but we're not yeah. doing better than this. And it's pissing me off. I think they're chosen, but it's a very mild preference. It's more like because the the powers that be really don't give a shit about Asian American stuff. Like, okay, you're there. I don't really want to expend more time and energy than I have to. So, okay, you're there. I guess you're you can do this or that. Uh, but as I said, that makes them easily challengeable. It, yeah, I think they're chosen in, by default because there's no real right. opposition. Yeah, they're just there. <laughs> yeah, they've just always been there. That's just yeah. kind of the as I said, the activist academic tradition of Asian America for the last couple of decades. Yeah. So it's yeah. You know, but I want this to be selective too. I like I know there's a lot of people who have a lot to say, but I want to deal with people who are actually going to be able to write really good articles. And I'm sorry, but that's not most people. No, no, for sure. So, yeah. so you know, yeah, I think we can do it. Try to do it ourselves. I mean, rather than trying to like teach people, um, let let's actually oh, no, try to do it ourselves. I don't want to teach people. Then... I'm just saying I want like-minded peers. Yeah, you know that that are serious about this and good at it. You know, yeah. but yeah. and you know, yeah, we can only control ourselves. So I think if we start doing it more, people will will come forward and we'll we'll find. I mean, we've already started doing that over the last few years. But yes, as I said, the, the yeah. more we branch out beyond just like Plan A, the more it'll happen at a faster pace. Yeah. Okay, that that was yeah. a really good discussion. Uh, I think just uh, starting from, you know, you guys winning, you know, not not using <laughs> Twitter as much and. <laughs> Well, the, the last little thing I do want to say is about sort of like the next things that I'm going to be doing is uh, I think uh, Teen Yorty sort of mentioned it um, earlier, but um, Colin and I are developing our own podcast. Um, we focused on the adopt, you know, adoption adoptees, um, but also very outward looking. You know, we're going to be talking about just all sorts of, you know, whatever is out there. Um, but, uh, you know, that that. To me, that's always sort of something I want. I've wanted to do is just focus more on that angle, um, that topic, uh, and to put it out there for other people to to listen to and hear. Um, that's very cool. So Love that's Kyle. that's coming. He's great. He's fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yo, uh, when it's about to launch, we should do a episode like. Oh yeah, well yeah, promoting it for sure. Yeah. Sounds awesome. All right. Uh, okay, I think we can call it an end to this episode so thank you guys for joining me on this and we'll we'll talk again soon bye all right bye everyone